Today we're recording on the deck of the USS Pop Trash, and you can hear the wind through the sails and smell the salty sea air. Isn't that your drag name, Mike? Salty Sea Air? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you're quoting Christopher Cross. You're going to ride like the wind here? <laughs> <laughs> well, way before Pirates of the Caribbean, Americans loved a good pirate movie. Until that is, when they didn't anymore. We're going to talk about a subgenre of movies that was forced to walk the plank after a major 90s box office bomb sunk most silver screen pirate adventures for years to come. But fear not, landlubbers. Nothing stays in Davy Jones's locker forever. Ugh, I think I'm a landlubber after this pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> Let's begin. Welcome to this episode of the Pop Trash Podcast. I'm Eric Griggs. And I'm Mike Jones. Each episode, we take a pop topic and trash talk it, but with love, of course. Ooh, speaking of love, do you love pina coladas? Oh, do I ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pirate episode. I had to go with something with rum in it. Captain Morgan's, it's got a pirate right there. Are you a clear rum or a spiced rum? I'm a spiced rum, but I know what you're not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm actually much more of a, like a, a coconut rum person, oh, which I know you would hate. <laughs> uh, send me to the un- bottom of the sea. <laughs> <laughs> your undying hatred of coconuts is not going to fare you well when climate change forces us all to live on an island. It's true. All right. Well, Mike, to get us started, do you have a favorite genre of movie? You know, I peg you as a rom-com kind of guy. You peg me? What? (laughs) (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Do I have a favorite genre of movie? I do. It is the thriller action movie. So honestly, I know they're not the greatest movies, but I would watch Taken 1 Taken 2, Taken (laughs) 3. If they make a Taken 4 or Taken 37, I'll watch all of them. Uh, Taking this back to Blockbuster (laughs) so I don't get a late Taking care of business. (laughs) Pretty much anything with the word Taken in it, I will watch. Yeah, that cheesy action thriller that right now is kind of like the domain of a Liam Neeson or maybe a Russell Crowe or... um, I don't know, just something about that I just love. If I had to guess your favorite genre, it would be... Uh, movie starring 1970s sitcom actors that also feature cameos from Muppets. Very, very close. Actually, my favorite genre is the caper movie. And I think it comes from my very first theater going movie experience. My parents took me to The Great Muppet Caper. You hit the nail on the head with that one. <laughs> Wait, capers aren't too, too spicy for you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, if you've been following us, you know we've been talking pop culture flops all season. And today we're going to explore a bit about the near death of a whole genre of films. Pirate movies were a staple of cinema since almost the early days. Errol Flynn, Douglas Fairbanks raking in the big bucks. Mike, do you like pirate movies? Uh, Are you a big fan? I don't know if I'm a, a Big fan. I think you could probably patch together a few that I like. <laughs> um, I don't know. The the whole swashbuckly, overacted pirate stereotype doesn't do a whole lot for me. But I will say I enjoyed 
some of you know the pirates of the caribbean movies which are probably the most recent examples we have of mm-hmm. pirate movies i don't hate Waterworld, the kevin costner movie uh mm. which i guess you is could that really yeah. pirate movie i, I could see it's that like, sure. it's pirate adjacent at <laughs> least um it's flirted I like the with Pittsburgh the idea pirates. of piracy <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i can't think of like one pirate movie that i would put in my top 500 movie mm-hmm. <laughs> there are a lot of things going with pirate flicks you know one of the appeals is like the grand scale of the adventure, the huge set pieces, massive endeavors with exotic locales. But I think the subject matter also helps that pirates were in some ways the first acceptable anti-heroes. They were the manly men, the bad boys that you fell in love with on the screen. Um, And there was money on the line during times of economic downturn. Who didn't want to fantasize about finding untold treasure and riches? Yes, but also like, when is the last time anyone was on a boat in the middle of the ocean (laughs) required them to think about like stealing treasure from another neighboring boat. It's just like, that's maybe one of the things I have. And we'll talk about this when we actually get to the movies, Mm -hmm. but I just was like, I I don't, this is hard to relate to Mm. for me. And maybe it's because it's like, as far as I know, a pirate has never entered my life. And so (laughs) it's just one of those things where I don't feel like a direct connection to the material all that much. So Mm -hmm. this like desire to want to take to the open seas and just live on a boat. I I have been on plenty of boats and they all make me want to barf. So I guess the pirate adventure doesn't do it for you. (laughs) It's going to be a great episode, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Pirate movies were humming along through the decades until the whole ship took a cannonball to the broadside. Our first movie that we're going to talk about, Cutthroat Island, many people dubbed it the biggest box office flop of all time. On December 22nd, 1995, it opened in 13th place, and it was really meant to be the tentpole action big movie of the year. Do you remember seeing Cutthroat Island at the time? I definitely did not watch it back then because it was so renowned as basically a box office failure or a movie that was so plagued with problems that nobody wanted to see it. So I didn't see it originally until probably a year or two later when there were 3,700 copies at the video (laughs) store because nobody was renting it, not in theaters. So I guess I wasn't one of the 14 people in this country who went to see it. Were you? No, I wasn't either. And I think it's because it was considered box office poison. And it's fascinating you mentioned the rental market because um, it had like an estimated $120 million budget, I think, maybe upwards of 150, only took in 10 million. So really bombed at the box office. But a lot of these movies that don't do well at the box office at the time, it was expected, well, it'll do fine at the rental market. Nope. Cutthroat Island even flopped there. Like you said, people just didn't even rent it. Did yes. it flop overseas? Did you I get think it, it fl- overseas? Oh. Oh. Hey, hey. <laughs> hey, lady. <laughs> yeah. I mean, To be factual, yes, it flopped everywhere it could flop. (laughs) Uh, So film company Carolco, they had a string of hits, actually. Basic Instinct, they put out Total Recall, they put out Terminator 2 among them. And they... 
Yeah, they were letting Rennie Harlan, the director, have his pick because he had really good success with Sylvester Stallone's Cliffhanger. And what he decided on was basically a 1990s version of Pirates of the Caribbean. But he cast his new wife at the time, Gina Davis, to take Ooh. top billing. They put up, you know, $60 million budget. Like I said, this was going to be a big budget movie, but it basically was a vanity project. Uh, at this point, Gina's career, she had starred in League of Their Own, Thelma and Louise, Beetlejuice. She had won an Oscar for The Accidental Tourist. I mean, it sounds good so far, right? How could this flop? Well, what happened next was a string of production problems. The male lead, Michael Douglas, who was cast initially, pulled out. Every bankable male star at the time is said to have refused the role, uh, except Matthew Modine. There were walkouts from crew members. The sets were built and rebuilt at the whim of the director. He um, wanted to add this amazing realism, so they actually built these pirate ships full-scale pirate ships they had burned down and had to be rebuilt ballooning the budget even more well that comes from basically a studio you know resting i think on the big successes terminator 2 judgment day might have been the biggest film of the entire decade or very close right so it's like i it, it doesn't surprise me that anyone attached with that level of success is given giant leeway mm -hmm. I, I guess what surprises me here is that my understanding is that there's just such a culture of excess and then you end up with just you know a cataclysmic mm -hmm. bomb on your plate i think there was a time where movies were made that it was like the director as auteur and they would go off and they'd make the movie that they wanted to do and the studios had faith and they might check in. It's definitely not how movies are made now. Well, that's kind of annoying, to be honest with you, because I think like they're, the reason studios balk at, mm -hmm. you know, I think original productions is because of stories like this, where, yeah. oh my gosh, budgets just ballooned out of nowhere. Studios ended up going bankrupt. Right. Uh, you know, careers were essentially ruined or at least tarnished. People were expecting Gone with the Wind, like because of the production and hearing how grand it was, they thought they were going to get this amazing film where it was just this lighthearted comedy romp. I mean, the backstory aside, does it really deserve its reputation? Does it deserve its reputation as like one of the worst movies in history? No, definitely not. There are far, far many more movies out there that are worse <laughs> or that are like boring. This isn't boring. And it's also you know, it, it's action sequences aren't entirely bad, but this goes back to sort of my original point around pirate movies feeling unaccessible. Mm -hmm. Nothing in this film is that relatable. And you get, you know, these beautiful scenes of like um, Gina Davis and Matthew Modine riding on a stagecoach through like an island town mm -hmm. and having to like, you know, escape people coming after them. But you don't get the type of, you know, CGI. You don't get the type mm -hmm. of special effects. You don't get the type of energy or I, I guess like thrill ride-ness mm -hmm. that you would expect in a movie, uh, you know, that has this much money behind it. And so yeah. maybe that's because like you said, you know, they kind of build this as a bit of an action movie, mm -hmm. but it is sort of more of like a romance movie to me. It's very boring in parts. There are action set pieces that you mentioned. Um, it's too long. 
But you could say many of the same things about Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, it's the same thing, a light comedy, treasure hunting story, some swashbuckling action, you know, but the the difference here, bonus points that we've got a great forward looking female pirate captain. And it isn't announcing like, look how progressive we are that we switched it. She is the main action hero of this movie. And Matthew Modine is in the role that would typically be the female role. So I think maybe people caught wind of that at the time. You know, there isn't the internet now that there would be the outrage machine about that. And we didn't really get many female action heroes until, I mean, even today, now we're starting to see like Red Sparrow, Atomic Blonde, Black Widow. But all of these pictures, when you have a female-led action hero, there's this enormous weight of needing to prove that it's just as good. I wonder if that was part of it. I was distracted thinking about Matthew Modi and his gorgeous blonde locks. <laughs> it is kind of funny to me, two things about what you just said, that sort of Matthew Modian's character being sort of second fiddle to Gina Davis's. Allegedly, that's why Michael Douglas walked out of the picture, right? Right. He didn't want the role to be sort of a second banana to Gina mm-hmm. Davis's. Whether or not that's true or not, who knows? That's sort of, sort of the, the the rumor though, or the, the, the reporting. And then I guess the other thing that I think is just kind of interesting is that I did watch this again recently and I was like, dang, Matthew Modine looks exactly like Carrie Elwes from The Princess Bride. Yeah, he really does. Like yeah. several times I was like, wait, that's, that's Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where's what Peter did, Falk reading me a story? It's true. What did you think of the villain, uh, G- Gina Davis's uncle, I believe? He's got yeah. like a, a long sword that looks like a serrated bread knife, which I love. <laughs> yes, he can cut the world's largest baguette. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, nothing says frightening like a, you know, 60-year-old pirate. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know how old Franklin Jell was at the time. I'm guessing close to 50, 40, mm-hmm. late 40s, early 50s. Um, but he's not particularly frightening as a villain, uh, which makes the ending where I I guess, you know, there's no such thing as spoiler alerts for movies (laughs) that are almost 30 years old, but the ending where he gets a cannonball fired (laughs) right into his belly, uh, somewhat enjoyable and made me laugh out loud, actually, because it doesn't just like fire into his belly, it hits him (laughs) and then sends him about 100 yards out into sea. (laughs) What a way to go. I didn't find the movie very funny. I never found the movie like to be particularly funny. Yeah, there's a Mm -hmm. line here or there. You know, Gina Davis in the early part of the film (laughs) takes the bullet out of uh, a gun uh, from someone who wants to shoot her. And she goes, well, I've got your balls in my hand, uh, which made me laugh. Uh, she won an honorary Oscar recently mm-hmm. uh, for work that she's done to basically call out, you know, the role of gender injustice in Hollywood, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty cool. And so like, you know, yes, didn't her career take a hit from this? Probably or arguably, but did it, you know, did it derail what has otherwise been a really successful, you know, stint in Hollywood? I don't think so. It is just strange though, I guess that this was the thing that sunk pirate movies up until from 95 to Pirates of the Caribbean, basically in 2003, if we don't count Again, Muppets, Muppet Treasure Island in 96, which wasn't a huge hit. It just was over breaking even. Um, There really weren't many pirate movies up until Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, because people were afraid to make them. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But really, this is a a serious question. Pirates of the Caribbean, obviously a, a giant blockbuster, a huge franchise. Other than that, can you name a pirate movie that was 
a box office like blockbuster. Yeah, I know what it would be. It would be that Disney Treasure Island. What was that? The 50s, 60s? That was probably, that might be the biggest thing that people remember was a big hit, right? But since then, you're right. Yeah. I'll give you that. But the point I was going to make though is that it's like, I feel like pirates are generally, you know, and Disney, you know, somehow figured out a way around this with Pirates of the Caribbean. But like pirates are generally just not that accessible Mm -hmm. as a, as a, storytelling device anymore. I think it really is something that like worked a hundred years ago, worked 75 years ago, maybe even worked 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, unless you strike lightning in a bottle, a rum bottle, uh, <laughs> I think it's really hard to make a movie about pirates. That's going to be super interesting to people born after 1985. <laughs> Well, that's a great segue into our second segment, because I would say that leading up to Cutthroat Island, that pirate genre was getting a little stale. Pirate adventure movies or just adventure movies, kind of like Westerns dying out. In some ways, there's nowhere to go after a while. In 1984, a flop many people remember as Ice Pirates, which was kind of trying to keep the genre fresh. They moved it to space. So they're like pirates in space, kind of capitalizing on- Why wouldn't they call it Space Pirates? I know. I think what had happened is the budget was slashed from $20 million to $8 million. And it was supposed to be a straightforward pirate drama. And then they just rewrote it as a comedy because they just didn't have the money. You mean to tell me there is a movie called Ice Pirates that takes place not on the ice, but in space? It's not Ice Castles. (laughs) (laughs) through the eyes of love what was that ice skating one the The cutting edge the cutting edge it's not the cutting edge mike (laughs) who is in ice pirates it has to be somebody like quintessential 80s like valerie harper or it was believe it or not robert urich and oh spencer houston was in it angelica Um, houston okay well she won an oscar in the 80s that's actually a pretty big deal yeah i mean it's it's not great (laughs) so she didn't win an oscar for this movie oh no (laughs) it's a cult classic it's one of those films that's like it would be maybe on a saturday afternoon on a free channel on cable and you'd watch it it'd be on and you get a couple laughs it's it's that kind of a movie but you know as i bring that up what i'd really like to talk about is my favorite 80s pirate comedy with a creative title the pirate movie from 1982. <laughs> and I know I made you watch this recently. Mike, what did you think of the pirate movie? What did I think of the pirate movie? Well, I I guess if I could, you know, if I could spend an hour and 45 minutes doing anything else, uh, <laughs> oh, I would probably choose to do that. My what? heart is pain. <laughs> well, let's, for those of us like Mike, who had never seen or encountered the pirate movie. Let's give a little backstory so you know what we're talking about. The pirate movie is a 1982 romantic musical comedy starring Christy McNichol and Christopher Atkins. I mean, they were both coming out of being hot teen properties. They're starting to age into young adult and more adult roles. And this was spun out of the Gilbert and Sullivan's Pirates of Penzance. Um, I was and saying, it, yeah, I was going to say, and it's, I, it's, could, I could do this plot summary pretty quickly. Pirates of Penzance. <laughs> basically, you know, the weird thing about it, though, is it's like follows it and then it just veers off crazily. And then there's a song that's like Pirates of Penzance. And then it just is like 
more comedy. And it's interesting that it was actually racing to get to the screen first because the more famous Linda Ronstadt, Kevin Klein movie was on the heels of filming and being released. But would you believe it enough? Neither were a hit. Two more pirate movies that just flopped. Yes, for some reason, I don't know. This movie to me, I, I could never decide if it was actually trying to be a parody of Pirates of Penzance or a mm. complete ripoff of Pirates of Penzance. <laughs> because to me, it took until they finally do a song called Pumping and Blowing, <laughs> where I was like, oh, this isn't a remake of Pirates of Penzance. <laughs> oh, you don't remember that song in the in the... No, yeah, Linda Ronstadt up there with singing Pumping and Blowing. No, it's a I, classic. Pumping and Blowing somehow, is a classic. <laughs> I somehow missed that. Here we're we going, go. We're going to read some of the lyrics from the Pulitzer Prize winning. Pumping and Blowing. Here we go. It's got lines like, it's an old wives tale that you have to keep pumping and blowing. You know, you've got to swallow more than water. It's your pride. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I feel... McNichol is delightful. She's got some real comedic timing in this. I mean, if you have to sing a song called Pumping and Blowing, (laughs) you've got to have the chops for it. Yes, I agree, Mike. It throws a lot at the screen. It breaks the fourth wall. It goes into like spoof territory where it throws in jokes about Star Wars and Indiana Jones that was very current at the time. Um, It has winks and nods to Christopher Atkins' Blue Lagoon diaper that he wore in that movie. It's to me, it's kind of like an 80s airplane meets Spaceballs meets a TV sitcom for pirates that is like alternatingly high and low budget. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I just the I just I, I don't know, I guess what I was <laughs> speechless, <laughs> I left speechless by the sheer uh, audacity of the filmmakers to make this movie. <laughs> I, I guess what just surprised me the most about it was how aimless it kind of felt Mm. in so many ways because again for the first 30 minutes i really thought it was just a knockoff of pirates of penzance it Uh it it doesn't really veer to me at least that much you know that far outside of you know christy mcnichol being sort of a nerd in one moment and then a hot girl in another (laughs) like the (laughs) next i do find it really interesting though to see christy mcnichol in this because Mm -hmm. most people probably well one if you don't know who she is she was kind of like the what would you say, like the Drew Barrymore or the the? Yeah. I'm trying to think of a, a comparable child uh-huh. star today. Um, right. This was like sort of a vehicle in her like teenage years to sort of like propel her into adulthood. And mm-hmm. again, I don't know if it actually worked, but for me, what I remember Christy McNichol the most for in the 1980s is about seven years after this movie was made, her starring turn as Barbara Weston in Empty Nest, mm-hmm. where she basically became a sitcom comedic star that was kind of a uh, a support player, more or less, mm-hmm. um, and and was brilliant in that. Yeah. So, so good in that. Yeah, I think she is one of the most underestimated comedians. She's, she has really good comic timing. And, and like, yes, this movie isn't perfect, but you can see glimmers of it um, in mostly in her delivery. What, what I also love about it is it's that type of 80s movie, uh, a PG movie on the cusp of 
or before PG-13 came into being. And it's that PG movie that had a lot of adult themes and jokes and double entendres that were just snuck in. And I remember watching this as a kid and loving it and loving all the songs, but not getting the double entendres in pumping and blowing the final number where they're singing, give me a happy ending. It's just, <laughs> See, I mean, you think this one would be rated R. Yes, you would, but it's not. And I mean, there's, it's not like gratuitous violence or nudity or anything, but there is a different era of kind of PG movies that had that kind of double viewing. Like you would see it as your parents and you would get all the jokes. And as a kid, they would just go over your head. There's a lot of that in this. Yeah, that I'll definitely give you. I also think this is a movie too, that it is very well placed in the 19 early 1980s. Like the special effects aren't particularly bombing on this right like it's and and that's okay like it to me it's like there's kind of like it, it was sort of in how we just talked about cutthroat island like there's an era of movie making in the late 70s early 80s and this fits into that and then you know technological advances different movies come out push the genres further and so then you get like a different style of movie from like the mid 80s to the early 90s that's where i think cutthroat island fits in um but i wouldn't necessarily call this movie the pirate movie an action film would you Oh no, it's it's strictly comedy. Definitely. Yeah. And so the action sequences, the fighting sequences are kind of silly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, not only are they kind of silly, like literally like the, you know, what's his name? Christopher Atkins. Is that the lead? Yes. Uh Yeah. Pulls out a fucking Jedi sword at (laughs) some point, which makes no sense whatsoever until you realize, oh, this is, this is like, a a it's trying to be space balls right right it's like the scene where they're storming the castle the pirates have that giant log that they're going to ram the door yeah. and they, and then they really lead they up to, ring to it the doorbell. <laughs> and it rings the doorbell and they go avon calling you know it's just that it, you, you know it's just being played for fun it could have been airplane-esque or space balls-esque mm-hmm. but it didn't want to go that direction mm-hmm. too hard mm-hmm. right and so it then pulls back and goes like mostly just riffing off of what pirates of penzance is Many movies in the 80s did that. They tried to just be everything. There was, you know, drama bits in there. There were comedy bits. There was like action. And I think we see less and less of that now. It's like you have to pick a lane and stay in it. And we don't understand a movie if it has all of those things. This is where I feel. Okay, so there's a few years between us. Uh You are much more solidly in the Gen X Sure. than yep. I am. I straddle Gen X millennial stuff. Uh-huh. This is a movie that I think Gen X people love and appreciate. Yeah. Whereas like people closer to that millennial cusp are like, this is stupid. What the fuck did I just watch? Mm-hmm. And I, it's like, I think there's an element of that, that like what you just described is true. And I think like people of your age, <laughs> <laughs> like that's how they see it in the experience mm-hmm. where for me, it's just like, I don't know. Like, I just feel like I, I wanted it to be one or the other. Right. And, and instead didn't get the, I don't know. And maybe it's also because I'm watching it as an adult, an Mm -hmm. adult who doesn't have kids. Mm -hmm. So it's like, maybe I just experienced it very differently than had I watched it in 1982 or whenever, you know, it was in theaters. Where you are and how you greet a film or a piece of music or something at the time in which you encounter it, um, it makes all the difference. I, one of the things I keep saying about this is that it is so similar to Pirates of Penzance starring Kevin Klein and yeah. 
Linda Ronstadt. And I also don't really find that movie that interesting either. It's That's just true. kind of like, right. uh, the source uh, material matters. I would honestly prefer a biopic about the first Long John Silvers that was open. <laughs> I think that would be really interesting. How did they create the hush puppies? Who decided that the extra chicken pieces would be called planks? <laughs> what kind of fish is it? Is it fish? <laughs> oh, no, I know this. I know this because my sister worked at one. And yes, oh, it's true. Yeah? You cannot get the smell of Long John Silvers out of your clothing in under 12 hours. Oh, God. Uh, it's Pollock. Huh. Well, that's actually a good fish out of all of the sustainable fish choices. That's actually a good fish choice. I'm trying to get our sponsorship back from Long John Silvers. <laughs> since, since you disparage them about the smell of their food, I'm going to say how sustainable they are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, I'm wrong. It's not. <laughs> oh, of course. Oh, that's it. They should have known this. Oh, my God. It, it's caught. It's definitely caught. <laughs> it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, apparently cod is one of the four, one of the bad four or whatever. Wait, no, so. it is Pollock. Stop. Would you stop? I, it's a roller coaster right here on the podcast. <laughs> podcast. I think it is. Uh, I think it is part Pollock and part cod. Well, it's probably a lot of different fish smashed <laughs> yeah. together. Like those are not the normal size. They're not actually fish. They're just fish meal smushed Look, together. The it's like chicken nuggets. Is- it's like McDonald's chicken nuggets. But if somebody put a hush puppy in front of your face right oh, now, you I would eat it. eat it. Oh, my God. I would <laughs> eat it. Talk about pumping and blowing. <laughs> I would give me a happy ending meal. <laughs> <laughs> they are delicious. I don't know what they They're do. Very delicious. I don't understand. You hear that, Long John Silvers? <laughs> and then you would get those little, like, fried crispy batter bits and yes, the little like pieces of just in puppy. shame in your car after you've gone through the drive through <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's our show on Pirate Flops. So whether your name is Bluebeard, Blackbeard, Burnt Sienna Beard, Jack Sparrow, or Joan Sparrow, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We'd love to hear from you. If you like this episode, or you have other Pirate Flops you want to discuss, or you just want some other Pop Trash goodness, head on over to poptrashmuseum.com and drop us a line. And be sure to like and follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever Gina Davis shoots her arrows. <laughs> we'll see you next episode. And until then, keep pumping and blowing. Order up two planks of Long John Silver's <laughs> Polish. <laughs>